Hello and welcome to Rooted by the River podcast, the official podcast of First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee. My name is Braylon Lashley and I'm the Associate Pastor of Worship and Youth here at First Baptist and I am joined by my co-host, my friend, avid fisherman, golfer, senior pastor, doctor, uh, and all-around fun guy to hang out with. Dr. Andrew Bosak. What's up, man? Hey, brother. I appreciate those kind words. It's good to be with you. It feels like a while since we've been in here recording a podcast, but excited to be back with you and uh, just discussing the word and seeking to minister to our people well. So it's good to be with you, man. How you been? Yeah, I've been good. Just really busy. Um, uh, Started a class and it's History of Christianity, a very riveting class, but uh, in, in all actuality, it is it's been really cool to see uh, the birth of the church and the theological concepts that come out of different eras of church history. But we're doing well, and we're prepping for our new baby. O'Callahan Joe is going to be here before we know it, probably you know later December, early January. So we're just prepping along for that. It's hard to believe how quickly time is going. We are uh, here on the doorstep of October, essentially. And yeah, I think the holidays will be here before we know it, and we'll have Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then you guys will be welcoming a new little boy to the family. Very excited for y'all, and certainly praying for y'all as that day uh, gets gets even closer. Appreciate it, man. How have you been? You've been all right? Everything good with the family and good in your busy life of ministry and juggling all the uh, different hats that you have? Yeah, man, we're doing well. We uh, enjoyed a good summer, but yeah, we've kind of gotten into a good rhythm here for the fall. Everybody's doing well in school. Uh, My wife homeschools hour four, and she does a tremendous job. And uh, one of our children, one of our sons, True, is on the autism spectrum, but he's just continuing to grow and develop and and do so well. just with his mom's help and the Lord's grace. So we're, we're so thankful for all of our children, including him. And they've started school, doing great with that. And one of the blessings of homeschooling is we can take our summer vacation in the fall. So we will be taking the first couple of weeks of October off and uh, heading back down south to the Panhandle, enjoying a great time. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure just to get that uh, that good family relaxation and go and see old pop and the mom, that's some good stuff. I can't believe that you would leave me in charge of bringing the word on that one Sunday. But, you know, if uh, if God's words can come out of a donkey, I mean, it can come out of me, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Uh, pretense or truth, man, just just uh, preach the gospel and let the Lord do the heavy lifting. No, man, you're you're a great preacher. I know you'll do a great job. I've uh, I've got no problems turning the pulpit over to you. I know you'll feel it well, and the Lord uh, will bless uh, the proclamation of the word, certainly. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, to hearing you preach and uh, looking forward to possibly tuning in via Facebook and uh, amening from afar. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I know um, I, I just want to say this and we'll move on to a couple of different things because we really want to get to um, a couple of uh, teachings from Sunday overview and some follow up things. But uh, I want to say that it is a joy to be in a place where there's unity among the staff and that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have each other's backs. So I just want to I know I'm, I'm throwing you off for a little bit, but at the same time. 
I want to applaud that. That is a rarity in a lot of churches today and something that we should all be striving for and praying for, no doubt. Yeah, man, I hear you. That's a good word. And yeah, it's just a delight to serve with you. We've had multiple people. I'm sure they've talked to you and they've talked to me about it. And they're just so grateful for the team that the Lord has put together here at First Baptist. And uh, so grateful that you've uh, joined the team, been here just over a year and uh, killing it, both uh, music and youth. And yeah, that unity within the staff, there's something powerful in unity. We see that just within the church. Uh, We see uh, unity. Unity emphasized across the board in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, as it pertains to the local church. There is power, there is evangelistic opportunities there, there is spiritual work in that. And I believe those same principles apply to a staff of a church as well. So I'm grateful uh, that we are grateful to serve together, and uh, it's a blast, man. So we'll just keep on keeping on and see what the Lord has in store for us. Amen, brother. Can't do ministry by yourself. I like it. We uh, are going to kind of move on now. I I do want to make a plug here, and I want to thank our listeners. And I know Andrew echoes this sentiment, but I want to thank you guys. Uh, We started this ministry to be just that, a ministry to uh, equip our church, First Baptist of Savannah, Tennessee, with uh, follow-ups from the previous sermons. Uh, We've had different uh, questions answered, brought up. Uh, We've had book reviews. We've had uh, Dr. Clay Hallmark come on, which was our first interview to come on and to talk about his new book, The Heart of Church Revitalization. And uh, we are excited and thrilled that the response has been favorable. And uh, we have just surpassed a thousand plays on Spotify and uh, an Apple podcast. And so really excited about that. Thank you to all those that are liking and sharing and commenting and uh, letting us know what we're doing well and what we need to work on. We just want to grow and have this be a fruitful ministry. And uh, we're thankful for what God has done thus far. Amen to that. And we joked from the beginning of this that our listeners, our mainline listeners, were going to be our mothers, which I do know they listen, but I don't think they're hitting that play button a thousand times. So I echo that gratitude. Thank you guys for listening to us. We hope it's a blessing to you as we discuss the word, as we follow up many times on the sermon on Sunday, as we make announcements and uh, discuss theology. We're so glad that you're listening. So grateful uh, for the opportunity uh, to speak in this forum and pray that the Lord continues to bless it. Amen. We're going to discuss your sermon from Sunday, or rather you are going to discuss it. I'm going to prompt you. But you talked from uh, Matthew 19, verse 13 through 30. And uh, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of an overview of what you talked about on Sunday, and then we're going to dive in to some additional uh, comments and uh, discourse because uh, we want to equip the church, especially that latter half of the passage. The Sermon Sunday was a bit of a challenging one. We've, I've kind of said it like this before. Some texts preach themselves. Others take a little bit more uh, exegetical work to really dive into and dig into. But uh, the Lord provided just the opportunity to preach on uh, life And we talked about the life that Jesus provides. We used John 10.10 as kind of the uh, introduction uh, to this text uh, that Jesus came as opposed to the work of the enemy that steals, 
kills and destroys, Jesus came in order to give us life and life more abundantly. Well, I interpret that passage to mean that Jesus gives us life, number one, eternal life, true life, real life, uh, new life in him. But he also gives us an abundant full life. So he gives us eternal life and abundant life in a more temporal, earthly sense. He provides a fullness and abundance for us in the here and now. And our passage dealt with Jesus calling the little children to come to him, rebuking the disciples because they were hindering the children, him calling the little children to himself, and then talked about the rich young ruler. Many times uh, I've read this passage or heard sermons preached, and they take those two instances, those two parts of the passage, and they separate them. Well, I see them as being related. I see them as being together. And there are implications for us uh, in the here and now, and certainly in eternity from these these two passages being seen together. So I used a coin, uh, a quarter, uh, as kind of the uh, illustration for us. I kind of got back to the object lesson thing and used the coin as uh, this, this representation of life, two sides to the same coin, eternal and abundant. Well, there were some principles about eternal life from our passages. Number one, we talked about just the horrific circumstances of babies, little ones, and contextually and linguistically, Jesus is talking about infants. These are mothers, these are fathers, these are parents bringing infants to Jesus to receive a blessing Well, we use that to discuss the horrific circumstances of babies, infants, miscarriage or otherwise passing away before they can understand and respond to the gospel. I think this passage provides us the principle that babies, children are safe in the arms of Jesus. Looking at it, we see that Jesus cares deeply for children, not just emphasizing a childlike faith, but they are precious to him. They are important to him. And we discussed the reality of a divine period of grace on children before they can understand the gospel. They are held safe within that period of divine grace. You as a dad, me as a dad, any listener as a parent know the truth that children are sinners by nature. I bet you could amen that. But that divine grace is sufficient for that sin. And when Jesus says to these, to such belong the kingdom of heaven, I believe it's in reference to that period of divine grace where they are kept safe and welcomed home to heaven, safe in the arms of Jesus, if one of those circumstances does occur. Now, in the parallel passages in Mark 10 and Luke 18, Jesus does use this opportunity to reference a childlike faith. And in that, the rich young ruler is basically the antithesis, the opposite example of a childlike faith. So in Mark and Luke, he says, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, speaking about their safety and security and their preciousness to Christ. But he also uses the opportunity to emphasize a childlike faith 
in such, the rich young ruler displays the opposite of that. His desire for eternal life is based upon himself, a self-focused works-based system. So we use that to emphasize having a childlike faith that leads to depending upon Jesus fully and completely as a child depends upon a parent in repentance and faith for the sake of salvation and eternal life. So I see the rich young ruler as an opposite example of the childlike faith that Jesus emphasizes once again in the parallel passages of our passage in particular. Then again, very quickly, I'll wrap up this recap. The abundant life we find, uh, Jesus follows up with a teaching on the perils of riches and possessions, which riches and possessions in and of themselves aren't evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil and can get in the way a severe, the most severe stumbling block Jesus seems to teach to people coming to faith in Christ. So we looked at riches being a stumbling block, not just for eternal life, but for an abundant life. So we basically principalized this and said, you need to steward your possessions, your wealth well, you need to be generous, you need to be kind, enjoy the gifts of common grace for the glory of God. If you base your abundance on stuff, you're going to be let down because increasingly you can never have enough of material things in order to find abundance, fullness, and joy. So grateful for the gifts God gives, but stewarding them well for His eternity, for His uh, glory and uh, and our good. So two sides to the same coin of life: eternal life and abundant life. Amen, brother. That's great, great word. Um, love the object lesson with the coin, and uh, yeah, I coincidentally had somebody ask in Sunday school that day, last Sunday, what about those babies? Is there an age of accountability? What happens to those babies that that die horrifically or even those that are killed maliciously via abortion? Uh, do they go to heaven? Or, uh, where are they, right? Uh, does a loving God send a child to hell even though they're not, they're not able to comprehend and there are some that would that would kind of bounce and say, okay, well, because people are totally depraved, that kind of thing. But I don't see that in Scripture. I see, like you're saying, echoed in Matthew, but also uh, specifically David when uh, when he is mourning the loss of his firstborn son. And uh, regardless of the sinfulness that brought that upon, uh, he gets up from the floor and he says, I will see him again. Uh, and then one other one that I saw, from Costi Hinn that uh, when God commanded the Israelites to pretty much kill all of the Canaanites, that included all the kids as well. So what is that saying? Well, for us, we see it as God is taking those children out of a sinful society and he is ultimately resting them in his love and grace. Uh, the second one was with wealth, and I want to give kind of a short question for you, and then we'll jump into a, uh, a the follow-up or the passages or the certain verses that we didn't get to on Sunday. We always pray uh, the Lord's will be done, and sometimes that means that the Lord does, in, does give wealth, right? Do you think that there are instances where the Lord grants wealth to people as a curse. 
That's a good question. Uh, and yes, I, I do believe that the judgment of God can occur in different circumstances than we may think. So our, our whole basing this abundant life on was Colossians, where Colossians says that in the same way that you receive Jesus, follow him. So in repentance and faith, follow Christ. So we uphold our walk with Christ through repentance and faith. Therefore, the same stumbling blocks to receiving Christ at salvation are going to be stumbling blocks in sanctification and challenges. Uh, wealth itself, if, if it's a stumbling block for somebody coming to know Christ, it's going to remain a stumbling block or can remain a stumbling block for somebody in their walk with Christ. Now, do I believe God directs, directly showers his, uh, you know, uh, power upon somebody to receive money as a, as a judgment? I, I think so. I think that could happen. I do think, you know, many times it's going to happen in just kind of this natural outflow and God's going to allow somebody to kind of get off kilter, maybe idolize wealth. They receive what they work for. And then on that part, end of it, realize, man, I have wasted it. I, I Yes, I, my bank account might be full, but my heart is empty. And I believe, yeah, the Lord ordains those circumstances. I think you can see maybe with uh, with Solomon receiving uh, so much wealth and uh, all of that was based upon originally his desire for wisdom. And then he kind of took a turn and he gathered everything to himself to try to find meaning in life. And yeah, I believe the Lord blessed him. But in the end, I think he started to idolize those things and he was left broken. So yes, I, I believe there are some times where God allows his children to go down a path to learn lessons that, man, I got off kilter and I, I think receiving wealth and money and worldly possessions can be one of those paths that the Lord allows his children to go down. And they, you know, may develop a love for money, a love for wealth, a love for possessions. And instead of somehow stopping them, the Lord allows them to, to take that path and they, they get essentially what they've been working for. But as long as, again, their idol is something other than God, it's not going to be fulfilling. And in that, the judgment is there. So, yes, I do believe God is sovereign over that. I think, yeah, sure, there's probably some circumstances where it's a direct just uh, uh, work of God as, as a, I think you used the word curse. But I think most of the time, it's just kind of a natural outflow of a backsliddenness when it comes to possessions, wealth, and a love of money. Cool. I like it. We're going to shift gears now. We're going to talk about that latter portion of this passage that you wanted to get to on Sunday, but for time purposes, couldn't get there. So uh, I'll let you go ahead and just jump right into your passage and uh, what you want to elaborate on. On Sunday, I knew I wasn't going to have time to get to the end of our passage. And I said, look, this is one of the reasons that we have the podcast to uh, keep me from having to preach for an hour. So again, you're welcome to cover some of these details in the passage 
that we weren't able to get to. Now, I encourage the church, and I welcome you, listener. If you took my encouragement to get your grandchild to help you to get a podcast, and here you are listening it, a special shout out to you. Welcome, and uh, we're so glad that you are listening. But yes, the part I knew I wasn't going to get to was the end of this passage, particularly verses 27 through 30. But there are some things that I, I wasn't able to mention, even back up into verse, uh, verses 25 and 26. So Jesus said, uh, we did cover this, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, verse 24. And then verse 25, the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So it's important for us to realize why they were surprised and why this kind of took them aback, why they were astonished. Well, if we're reading the Old Testament, we should notice that God's blessings for faithfulness in the Old Testament often was material things, often was wealth, land, camels, donkeys, tents, servants, etc., etc. It was based upon, his blessings a lot of times were based upon earthly, material blessings, wealth, possessions, etc. And Jesus said, look, in the new system, the new covenant, right? This this new way of life, uh, this is not just going to not be the case, but possessions and wealth and worldly things are actually going to keep people from entering the kingdom of God. So let's let's give the disciples some grace here and see and recognize why they were astonished, why they were taken back. This was new information. This was a surprising reality that Jesus was bringing to them. So this was a, a total change in the perspective of wealth and possessions for the disciples and uh, for the Jews as a whole. So this is this is something new for them. And uh, it's important for us to recognize that and realize that here. So we touched on the, the camel and the eye of the needle thing. We didn't kind of make any Old Testament references there. I think that's important. Then Peter jumps in. He's always the spokesperson. He Peter jumps in and he says, well, well what about us? We've left everything to follow you. This is verse 27. What will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone... So that's a, that's a key shift there. So let's recognize that the first response to Peter was directly to the disciples, to you guys, essentially. And then he says, and everyone in verse 29. That's going to be very important shift for us when it comes to understanding this passage. Verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So again, we... we want to recognize uh, what Jesus is teaching here. And some of this stuff that we didn't cover is essentially uh, maybe confusing in the details, but self-explanatory in the same sense. Verses 29 and 30, Jesus is talking to everyone. He, he is mentioning these truths for all Christ followers and uh, those who have, they, they have left everything, which again, Jesus said it you have to you have to leave everything behind i have to be your first passion your your first um first goal me and my kingdom must be the most important thing to you and if that's going to cost you 
your home, if that's going to cost you relationships with your brother or sister, father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, then that's good and right and recognize that. Now, in the United States, uh, our persecution and what it cost us is not as severe as what it costs some other Christ followers across this world. Let's recognize that first, that literally some people are having uh, their homes burned down, are being martyred for their faith. Uh, so let's recognize the severity of the punishment, the persecution that some people across this world have to go through to follow Jesus faithfully. It's much different for us. But with that said, here in the West, and particularly in the United States, it is starting to cost us more to follow Jesus. Let's recognize that as well. And Jesus says, while that might be different here in the new covenant than it was in the old, and you're not going to necessarily receive wealth or possessions or earthly uh, rewards for faithfulness, you are going to receive a reward and glory. Again, his emphasis is an e eternal blessings, e eternal goodness, eternal grace. And what all that looks like, you know, we don't necessarily have time to get into, nor do I think we can understand what all that means as a whole anyway. Crowns and such that we're going to have to cast at the feet of Jesus, you know, what our room in the mansion's going to look like, you know, bigger, you know, bigger footprint in the mansion, you know, who knows. But um, there's reward for faithfulness and glory is, I think, what we must recognize here. And that distinction there is important because one of the aspects of this is verses 27 and 28, where it can be kind of confusing, where Jesus is particularly talking to the disciples who are going to sit on 12 thrones and uh, judge the 12 tribes of Israel. What is he saying there? Well, let's, let's key into the fact that he's talking to the disciples specifically. So there is a shift when he says, hey, everybody's going to receive a reward for following me. And there seems to be more reward for those who uh, give up more, and those dynamics are going to take place. But he is talking specifically to the disciples in verses 27 uh, and 28, and we must recognize that he is giving them the picture of what's going to take place. So it's important first to see the new, the, the term truly I say to you in the new world. And that is essentially looking forward to the future end time renewal of the world. You can find these truths laid out in Revelation 21 through 22, uh, chapters 21 and 22, and then 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. I'll just read the end of verse 13. It says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So this new world is the world, uh, the aspect of existence uh, based upon what people who interpret the Bible like I do, uh, to be the millennial kingdom, to be the thousand-year reign of Jesus. There are, now, we don't have time to get in uh, again to all the eschatological perspectives that people have, all millennial, post-tribulation, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I see this time period as the time where 
God restores Israel to its prominence, redeems Jerusalem. It becomes a, a, a beautiful place of Christ's rule and reign again. Uh, the lion lays down with the lamb. There is a peace that pervades essentially just international borders under the rule and reign of Christ for a thousand years as Satan and his demons are chained and Jesus has defeated the Antichrist. And in that, this is the time period that the disciples... Uh, save Judas, right? The original disciples, the apostles, save Judas, uh, enter Matthias, right? Acts chapter one, that they will be a part of ruling and reigning and participating in the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth during the thousand year reign. Or again, if you like the title millennial kingdom, that's fine. So during that time period, this eschatological reality, this thousand year reign before the eternal state is established, the disciples will sit on thrones and be a part of the, the, outflow of Christ's reign on earth and as kind of this precursor to the eternal state. So uh, they will have a special place in glory, a special place with Jesus, particularly during the thousand year reign. And he is speaking directly to the disciples. And then he shifts to, and everyone uh, who has left houses, brothers, sisters, etc., you will be rewarded. So let's again recognize who is and who isn't being talked to in the different references of Jesus. So as they do sit on 12 thrones, they will do so in the uh, time frame of the thousand year reign and be a part of the establishment of Christ's reign on earth during that time period as a precursor to the eternal state. That's excellent, brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate your insight. Appreciate your faithfulness to the text. And uh, I know that uh, we both really uh, adhere to the chronological expository preaching and to be faithful to what the text says contextually, because as you have said before, a text without, what is it? Context without a text is just a con. Yeah, man. So the context is key. Absolutely. Uh, you you got to see who Jesus is talking to. You got to, you got to be intentional with what he's saying. And, uh, and yeah, uh, the, the reality is, is that context is going to drive meaning. I mean, it, it just is. And we're always an expository preacher is somebody who, preaches their sermons, frames their sermons on the the original meaning of the text, and context is key. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. And just uh, kind of a little disclaimer for the listeners. Uh, if you are in search of a church, or if you are uh, thinking, who, who am I going to listen to during the week, sermon-wise, or podcast-wise, or anything like that, always... And I mean always, listen to those that faithfully faithfully preach the context of Scripture in an expositional way, because those while there's nothing wrong with a topical sermon every now and then, those that will take certain verses and cherry-pick them out and then tell stories for an hour, you should not listen to. I could go and listen to a couple of different people that just— they they tell a bunch of stories. It sounds great. It's very emotional. It's very heightened. It's very motivational. But unless the text is preached, 
then really all you're getting is a pep talk. You're not getting the truth of God's word. So be very faithful in that. Allow the Lord to move you and lead you in those directions as you either choose a church to faithfully attend or to listen to the content. It's not about how many followers people have. It's not about how well they sound. It's about how faithful they are to the text of the word of God. Anything you want to add, Dr. Bosak? Yeah, there's a lot of benefits to uh, walking through, you know, in a chronological way uh, and preaching expository. You you can, you know, topically preach in an expository way. Uh, again, it's more based upon meaning, but that there's some safety and there's some uh, blessings and this chronological reality. Obviously, I, I hold this conviction. We're uh, headed towards two years in Matthew, essentially. So it it is meaningful. But it, one of the things is we preached on divorce a while back, a couple weeks ago, and it would have been a lot easier to skip that and just get to, hey, Jesus loves the little children. But because we hold that conviction, we proclaim all of God's word. We don't apologize for any of it. And uh, we proclaim it, let the Lord give it life. And uh, yeah, we... We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, a story now and then as a, a, a tool for an illustrative purpose isn't a bad thing. But uh, yeah, if you're, you're listening to a sermon that's more than a few percentage points of a story, then, uh, then yeah, man, you, you want to find somebody who is more committed to the word of God than that. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to do some house cleaning as uh, or housekeeping, as I say. Uh, for those that uh, want to leave us review, please do so. We would be uh, overjoyed by the criticism or uh, exhortation because we want to be uh, faithful presenters of uh, the text and also uh, for Christ himself. Uh, I pray that this has been beneficial to you, that all of these podcasts have been beneficial to you and have continued to have you ask questions so that you can grow in your faith and you can rely on God's word and his spirit to illuminate those truths for you for practical application and daily living. Again, thank you so much for all those who have liked and shared and reviewed and commented and all of those that uh, helped us get to a thousand plays. We look forward to uh, many more plays and uh, many more milestones coming down the down the line. Uh, if you uh, liked this uh, podcast, I pray that you would share it with somebody. And uh, again, our uh, our platforms that we're on, we've got Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, but I have embedded each episode on a portion of our website. So if you're like, man, I can't get to this Spotify notion. I can't get to these Apple podcast app. I don't even know what an app is, but I know what a website is. Go to our website, uh, fbcsavannah.com. And under the media portion, you'll see rooted by the river podcast. You go on there, you can click it direct link. And, uh, yeah, I pray that you'd be blessed and you would have a great rest of the week. This has been Rooted by the River Podcast. We will see you next time.